0: Hello and welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. Today it's just me. It's a continuation of the daily podcast for our pledge drive in January. So if you want to become a patron of, pod, of the podcast, please do so. We are up to over 200 patrons, and... That is awesome. That's super cool. For the 200 people who have become patrons, we love you so much. If you haven't become a patron yet, please please do so soon. We want to probably get another 200-ish, and then we will reach our goal, probably, in which we can start paying the co-hosts a respectable amount of uh, income so that they can uh, be compensated for their time on the podcast, because... Up until this point, we've all been basically doing it for free for the past eight years, maybe even paying money to do this because there is some amount of money that needs to be invested in technology and that kind of thing. And so we're trying to take this podcast to the next level, perhaps making daily podcasts like we have been this month. And in order to do that, we need more people to become patrons and... Uh, If things continue the way that they have been, then we'll be good after a few months. So please, please, if you haven't yet, go to your computer and become a patron of the podcast. Today, I just spent some time, incidentally, on another podcast called Everything is Awesome. It was a wonderful time. Check out their podcast called Everything is Awesome. It's a local podcast led by Jeff, and uh, I was interviewed, and we had a long talk, Jeff and Amber they came to the university and we sat in my office at the university, and we talked about all sorts of stuff, so that was fun. Today I thought I would just read some emails. For instance, a patron wrote in and wrote regarding our microaggression podcast, which we did uh, last weekish. The patron says, "Wow, the subject has been on my mind." Uh, because recently I wrote an email to my former therapist. I wrote to her about using the word Oriental. I was kind, I didn't call her names, but I'm left wondering whether I had any impact on her. So just jumping in here. So again, this patron is writing in and wishes to remain anonymous. She's writing in regarding the microaggression podcast, in which we talked extensively about microaggressions and this patron is saying that her therapist used the word Oriental, which I have to say is quite surprising, given that that name has been out of fashion for a very long time. The preferred word now is Asian or Pacific Islander or just simply Chinese American or Japanese American or whatever. There's lots of different terms, but Oriental is definitely not one of them. Having said that, some of my Asian relatives, my Japanese-American relatives, actually use the word Oriental, particularly the older uh, relatives. So they are full Japanese-American. I'm half. These are full Japanese-American relatives of mine, and they use the word Oriental, and they don't have any problem with it. So it's not like certain words that are always a bad thing when we use them. You could probably think of some other racial slurs that are used against other groups or or even Asians, for that matter, that are never considered a good thing. But for whatever reason, the word oriental never became a terrible, terrible insult. It just became one of those words that fell out of fashion. It's sort of like Negro or something. You wouldn't say the word Negro is a terrible insult, but it Definitely isn't the preferred word anymore, and so, but you still see it in organizations, um, and uh, because they were named way back when, and and they still retain that name. So, I think Oriental is is one of those words. Having said that, if you're just a regular old person and you're using the word Oriental and you don't know any better, then well, you know, we can say that that's a certain level of ignorance, but if a therapist is using the word oriental to re- around an Asian client, I have to say that's quite shocking. Therapists should be up to date on these sorts of things, because particularly if you're practicing on the West Coast, which, which this therapist is, there's a lot of Asians around, and you ought to know that oriental has fallen out of fashion. At the very least, you should be seeking out this information to make sure you're you're up to date. All right, so going on or through the email. I have had these sorts of experiences with almost all of my therapists in one form or another. I don't think I'm able to quite get there on the trust issue because I feel so betrayed on a fundamental level. So just jumping in here. So these microaggressions or these mistakes or these uh, lack of understandings or these ignorances They are harmful to the relationship with the client, potentially. And we all know, according to research and according to anecdotal evidence, that the relationship is the most important thing and the most important factor when determining outcomes of therapy. And so therapists really should know what the deal is there and know how to navigate that. Are there things as a therapist you're going to be ignorant about? Absolutely. But you should have a certain level of wisdom or an approach to engaging in conversations with clients that can uh, not result in relationship ruptures, such as the one that this patron is talking about. For instance, say someone is from, I don't know, Palestine or something. And you don't know what to call them. Is it Palestinian? Is it... uh, you know, some other word, maybe you're just ignorant of that. And that's fine. It's okay to be ignorant of something. But uh, you should try to learn about it. But it's also okay just to ask and just say, you know what, I have to apologize. I am completely ignorant of Palestinian culture and the the words that we should be using. So let me know what I should be saying and, and how you want me to talk about this? Do you want to talk about this? Do you want to talk about your culture? Are there elements of what we're talking about that are are cultural that I need to understand? Differences between my culture being a, for instance, you know, for me, Kirk, I'm half Japanese and half Japanese American, half European American. And I've been, me and my recent ancestors have lived in the Seattle area for over a hundred years. So that's going to make me potentially ignorant of some things. And so, you know, let me know if, if you'd like to talk about that. So I don't know if that particular, you know, for instance, would work with every client, but I, w- I hope you get my drift here. All right. Getting back to the email. My former therapist I mentioned above on our first meeting pointed out that the director of the clinic was Korean. My thought was, Is this supposed to make me feel more comfortable? Because I'm not. Then I had another therapist who said she wasn't racist because she had a nine-year-old adopted Chinese daughter. Then another therapist pointed out at at one of our first meetings that she had a Hawaiian-Korean friend and how I was like her friend, yet different too. So just jumping in here. Um, these are just classic microaggressions and just classic ignorant people. Yeah, this is, my former therapist I mentioned above on our first meeting pointed out that the director of the clinic was Korean. <laughs> I mean, it's so silly. It's like you know you're a Korean person and you come into therapy and your therapist is uncomfortable. Your therapist is white. Your therapist is seeming a little, seemingly a little uncomfortable. And says, um, oh, by the way, the director of the clinic is Korean, so that basically means that we're good, right? You're Korean, and and I'm, uh, you know, white American, European American. And so, and I know a Korean person, so we're good, right? <laughs> it's just uh, stupid, uh, just ridiculous that a therapist would say that. Yeah. Uh, And she says, then I had another therapist who said she wasn't racist because she she had a nine-year-old adopted Chinese daughter. Again, uh, this is ridiculous. You can certainly be racist uh, if you had a nine-year-old adopted Chinese daughter. These are shortcuts that ignorant people try to use in order to prove that they're not racist or something. And I have to say, I have a bit of sympathy for white people because they're at a disadvantage. To to a certain extent, they they have to often prove that they're not racist. And that's a hard thing to do, especially when you're first meeting somebody. Being part Japanese, half Japanese myself, I probably get a lot of leeway with people. People see my face and probably just assume that i'm I'm not racist, and that I would understand them uh, at least in part because i'm not fully white, but I am a male, so I'm at a potential disadvantage there when it comes to making an impression of being a feminist so how do How does one prove that they're 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 cool with with asians <laughs> that's a That's a hard thing to do uh, should you say that you know a Korean person or that you adopted a Chinese daughter? Is that the thing you should go to to prove that you're, that you're cool with, with non-white people? I would say no, that, does, that doesn't seem likely to work. Uh, I, I actually knew someone uh, was, I won't say specifics because it'll identify him, but he was telling me, or he was actually telling a bunch of people, all at once, that he was he was basically being accused of having racist thoughts, racist ideas. And he was a clinician, and he decided to try to prove he was a white, white, older male. And he uh, felt uncomfortable with that accusation and decided to come back by saying that he was married to an Asian woman. Therefore, he couldn't possibly be racist and couldn't possibly be ignorant of of race and da-da-da. And boy, did that not go over well with the crowd that I was in. I was basically taking a, a side uh, seat to this conversation. I was staying out of it. It was quite uncomfortable. But um, so it, even among people that you would think would have a more advanced understanding of race and sexism and other isms and how to communicate about such things uh, you would think they would and and they don't including therapists and other sorts of clinicians and then uh so it's gone i think my marriage counselor left me feeling the worst when i said that back in that when i said that back in college I took my husband home to meet my parents. The therapist assumed I meant Korea. So just jumping in here, yeah. This is, I could see how this would be particularly harmful and hurtful to the patron. Because you say, yeah, you're saying to your therapist, I went home uh, to, you know, visit my parents. And it's just if you're not white it's assumed that you are going that home when you say home you're talking about another country and that that can be particularly alienating that that someone would just assume that home is in another country just because you don't look like a just because you're not white just because you don't look like the stereotypical american that can be particularly Hurtful again, it, you know. My my dad, who's Japanese American, he did a lot of traveling for work, and when he was in say uh, Dubai, he would do a lot of work in Dubai, and he looks Japanese, and so when the locals would talk to him they would you know, talk to him and he'd start talking back and they'd go, oh, you have, a, you have an American accent. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm American, I'm Japanese American. And they were just astounded by that. The, the people in Dubai that my father talked to couldn't even imagine that there were Japanese people living in America because to them, an American was a white person. To them, an American was Ronald Reagan and George Bush and these sorts of people. It wasn't a Japanese American guy. And I have to say I suffered from that even myself when I was in Mexico one time playing pool in a bar. I met some local Mexicans and one of them was a Japanese Mexican guy. And he acted and talked exactly like a Mexican guy. <laughs> but he was but he had a Japanese face in the same way that my dad has a Japanese face, but he acts and talks just like an American guy because he is American, just like that Japanese guy in Mexico was a Mexican-Japanese a person. So, you know, it, it. It it it's understandable to some extent, but if you're a therapist, you should know better. <laughs> you should know better than to make an assumption like that, and you should know better than to say something like that because you know that things like that are going to hurt someone's feelings, and that's going to disrupt their relationship, and that's going to harm treatment. Okay, so just going on with your email here. I like all these people to varying degrees. They all have been trained to interact with people, and I suppose being likable is part of the profession. Jumping in here. Yes, that's very true. Being likable is, is for most clinicians, for most therapists, an important part of their effectiveness. As a, as a therapist, you could call it bedside manner, you could call it rapport building, but in, in my form of therapy, the relationship between therapist and client is the primary thing that is used for change. And the better the relationship is, and the deeper and the more caring the vibe, the, the better the outcomes All right, going on with their email here. I think it's empowering to acknowledge and talk about our experiences. If you have any thoughts on how to work with my not-so-culturally-aware therapists, please share them. Thank you. Well, I don't exactly know what to say because I'm not there, and, and it's hard for me to know exactly what's going on in the therapists' heads. You've certainly, patron, experienced a lot of microaggressions from therapists, which I find to be extremely unlucky. Now, I don't know if it's just the community you live in, but it, I, I imagine it's, it's, it's quite unlucky that you've, that you've run into so many ignorant therapists and so many therapists that don't know how to navigate these kinds of things. It's either unlucky or I just have a distorted uh, vision of what my industry is like. Sometimes I'll, I'll run into therapists or other clinicians and I'm astounded at how different they are from me and how different they think and how ignorant they are, are of some things. And then I realize, oh yeah, you know, like any other industry, you're going to have a wide variety of people and not everyone thinks the same in our industry. Having said that, you're asking me, patron, what you could do to work with these not-so-culturally-aware therapists. I guess what I would do is I would just tell them how you feel. At the very least, you're helping them with the next client they work with. But at best, the therapists in all likelihood, unless they're just truly terrible people, which is possible, but... It doesn't seem like it. They seem, from your description, you're saying you like these people and they're, they're just ignorant to certain things. Well, if they're nice people, then they'll listen to you and they'll understand that they hurt your feelings and they'll apologize. And those things happen. Therapists aren't perfect people and mistakes can and do uh, and are made. They, they, they do happen. So just tell your therapist how you feel and and it sounds like you've already kind of done that it sounds like with you know be, after the first few times it's happening with the next therapist you're like okay I'm going to just tell the therapist <laughs> about this and then their reaction is bad because they say oh well you know don't worry about me because I have an adopted Chinese daughter feel free to follow that up and say well I don't want to be a jerk but what you just said right there actually makes things worse <laughs> you know Because just because you've adopted a Chinese girl does not necessarily mean that I feel comfortable uh, and doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have some racist attitudes that are going to affect how you see me as an Asian American. Maybe you adopted this person because you feel sorry for Asians uh, and I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Maybe you consider yourself the great white savior of the, of the earth, that you're better than non-white people and you can save the Korean children from their you know, their crappy cultures. So I don't know what your deal is. And so, you know, don't, don't just say that. So I guess that's what I would say is just, I, I, I find that when I talk to people, a lot of people will say to me when I say stuff like this. Actually, someone just asked me today. Someone was talking about having run from a therapist because of a conflict that happened. And I said, you know, if if you wanted to, you could have just told your therapist that you were angry at him. You could have just told him that you're angry. And she said to me, she said, really? I could have, what do you mean? I, I could, you know, but wouldn't that have hurt his feelings? And it could have, but that's what therapy is all about. It's about being real. It's about processing real things. And therapists are trained for the most part, and for the most part are good about this, to deal with those kinds of conflicts. Now, you don't want to abuse your therapist because that's not nice, but you can say, you know what, something you said last session." It hurt my feelings. It made me angry. And I, I just want to tell you uh, what that is. That is a wonderful opportunity for therapy to progress. It's a wonderful opportunity for you as a client to be heard and to have a voice and to have some reparative relationship work, some corrective emotional experiences. If you told some random person, hey, you know what you said was racist. I don't like it then in all likelihood they're going to get defensive and it's not going to be a positive experience. You, t- you tell your therapist this, most of the time they're going to respond therapeutically. They're going to apologize. They're going to be warm about it. And they'll check in about it later on. They'll say something. They'll say, oh, I'm sorry, did, did I say something again that, that hurt your feelings? Because I know that I, as a therapist, am not perfect and sometimes I make mistakes and I just want to check in with that. That's a wonderful corrective experience to have. For, for us when, as clients, when we go through those experiences, we learn that we can trust people and that we deserve to be heard and that when we have a complaint, that we can say them and it won't ruin the world. That you can tell someone, hey, I didn't like it when you did that, and the other person can say, oh, I'm sorry, thanks for telling me, I'll try not to do that. That simple interaction is for some people, for many people, such a rare interaction. It happens in couples all the time. One of the things that I often will focus on in my marital therapy is I will I call them requests. I, I, I'm guessing other authors probably refer to it as that too. But what I say is in, in a relationship, there, there needs to be the capacity to process requests from both persons. Requests like, hey, I could I request that you not pick me up late from work every day because it kind of hurts my feelings because it kind of feels like you don't care about making me wait? Or could, could I request that when I come home after work that you give me about 20 minutes to uh, cool off and then we can interact after I just... I just need some dead time after I get home from work. I can't really just jump right into things. Can I make that request? Now, the request doesn't have to be uh, honored or doesn't have to be – you don't have to comply with the request. That's not the point. The point is is that the other person receiving the request needs to hear it, understand it, validate it, and respect it to the degree that they can – and if they can accommodate it, then accommodate it. And if they can't, then then apologize and say, no, I can't really accommodate that because of this. Or can we, can we negotiate here on that? What I find that in a lot of marriages, because the requests don't go well, people in marriages just stop requesting things of each other. And when you have a situation like that, the relationship stagnates and becomes extremely negative. If you can't ask your partner a simple question... Like, hey, can you give me a break on A, B, or C? Then, how can you function in a really, how can that relationship thrive? So, so, that's something I work with a lot of people on. And this sort of thing with what the patron is talking about is along those lines. If you can't tell your therapist, hey, that, that thing you said last week hurt my feelings as an Asian American if you can't say that and have that be heard and have that be honored and processed and and respected then what kind of therapeutic relationship are you in the relationship is is not safe it's not it's not quality and it's a good way to test your therapist to some extent if you bring that up with a therapist and they respond in a in a inadequate way and don't pay it enough attention then you might know something about the potential of this relationship, that it's not going to necessarily get any better. Now, again, as a therapist, it's not your job to know everything or to never hurt someone's feelings. But if it happens, you have to respond in an appropriately respectable way. You have to gauge the client's intensity. You have to gauge how your response to them affects them. You might want to check in, you know, Hey, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this and I've been thinking about it. I just wanted to bring it up and see how you were doing with that and what your thoughts were, because I, it's never my intention to hurt your feelings. And sometimes I make mistakes. So anyway, all right, well, that was an interesting jag that I went on. What am I going to call this episode? I didn't realize I was going to talk about this. I guess I'll talk. I guess I'll say, microaggressions and therapy. Maybe I'll call it that. All right. So please become a patron of the podcast, people. You might have to actually go to your computer, become a patron of the podcast. Let me thank our most recent patrons. We have patron Autumn. That's a nice name, Autumn. Jessica, Jana, Ingrid, Shauna, Gabrielle, Jennifer, Jeanette, Pixelbender, I'm guessing that's not your real name, Pixelbender. Robert, Monica, Ann, Daniel, Sid. Thank you so much for becoming patrons. If you haven't already become a patron, please do so. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it.